Welcome to episode number 55 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Buddy Pegs, a family adventure media company celebrating cycling. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash buddy to learn more. Hi everyone, I'm Stephan Abrams, your host. I believe if you desire a truly fulfilling life, both personally and professionally, then you must be willing to find a connection with people outside of your everyday circle of influence which is why I created the Jackson Hole Connection podcast. My guest today is an old friend, Scott Fitzgerald. He's the CEO and founder of Buddy Pegs Media. After starting and running a successful bicycle shop here in the Tetons for over 15 years, Scott and his wife, Janine, decided they could make a bigger impact on families and people. So they sold the shop and created Buddy Pegs Media. Today, we will learn from Scott what he means by the power of the bicycle and how children can be positively transformed when they learn how to ride a bike. Scott will share his passion for children and families, getting out and riding bikes, and how Buddy Pegs can help you build confidence and independence for your child and the Buddy Pegs Learn to Ride model. Scott, I was thrilled that we were able to finally put together a date to have you here on the Jackson Hole Connection podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, Stefan, thanks for having me. I'm really honored. Well, the honor is is mine as well because you have a fascinating story to tell and what you and your wife Janine are doing is so exciting. So um, let's begin with what is your connection to Jackson Hole? How did you land here? I landed in Jackson Hole like a lot of people because I had friends move there first. And that was, uh, I first visited in 1996. I was a recent college grad. I went to the University of Vermont and I had a, a good friend who graduated a year ahead of me. Two good friends, actually, a couple, uh, Dave and Tara Ellerstein. And they moved out to Jackson um, maybe in 95, right after they graduated. And so when I was moving west after my graduation, I was moving to Portland, Oregon. I decided to swing through and visit Dave and Tara and uh, fell in love with the area completely and 100% just fell in love with it the first time I was here. And it took me a couple of years to actually relocate and move to the Tetons after that first visit. But I kept visiting for a few years afterwards before I made the leap and became a resident. So you did end up landing in Portland? Spent two years in Portland, Oregon. Yep. After college. Cool. And when you finally landed here in Jackson, what was your first job? <laughs> job number one was construction cleaning for uh, CC Builders. Clint <laughs> Cook hired me on to, uh, to clean up the job sites. And shortly after that, I got a job at the Blue Lion. Uh, busing and, and worked for Ned over there for a lot of years after that and rose up through the ranks of servers and bartenders and whatnot. Um, and also that first winter, I, I uh, got hired by Jackson Hole Mountain Resort as a snowboard instructor. So I was, I was doing the typical Jackson multi-job juggle right away. Yeah. And how many years was it before you started this fantastic bike shop that you created? So we, you know, when I... When I moved to, to Jackson, I, I had been a bike mechanic for a number of years, and I thought I was potentially done with that career path. I you know, I had a good run with it, and I learned a lot and met a lot of good friends, a lot of good mentors. But when I moved to the Tetons, I thought, yeah, that was a chapter of my life that's probably closed. But this, the first summer I, I was here in the Tetons, I realized that 
uh, you know, it's not a bad idea to have a connection to a local bike shop and some some hookups on on equipment and gear and everything. So I walked into Hoback Sports and got a job as a bike mechanic there and um, ended up doing that for a few years, rose up to be the service manager there and and realized that I really loved working in bike shops and I loved everything that bicycles embodied. I loved the community development about them, um, you know, that they really inspired. And I just, I, I loved being a part of it, but I did have an entrepreneurial spirit and I did want to launch a business. So in 2002, I decided to go off on my own branch out as a one man repair shop and started Fitzgerald's bicycles. And when you started that, it was just repairs. It was just repairs. Yep. And I didn't really have a long-term vision for it. Did not have any plan for it. Just said, I, I want to launch a business. I'm ready to go. And so let's, um, you know, let's get a business license and, and do this thing. <laughs> uh, you know, space was a premium as it still is now. Even in 2002, it was really hard to find commercial space to rent, especially small space. You know, I wasn't looking to, to rent thousands of square feet. I really just needed hundreds of square feet. And that was a big challenge. So a good friend of mine had just started a, a clothing consignment store right next to where Trio is now. There's that little log cabin there next to Trio on Glenwood Street. Yep. And uh, Keely started Keely's Closet. And it was a great little vintage consignment store for a little bit. And, uh, and she knew I was struggling with, uh, with finding, finding space. And we were snowboard instructors together. So she said, hey, why don't you just you know, rent my side yard? Just you know, get a tent and set up, set up shop right in my yard and you can sublease from me. So I, I thought that was a great idea. And so I bought a, bought a little tent and uh, built a, a workbench that I could lock at night. But it was a really wet spring. So I couldn't really move out there right away as soon as I wanted to, to open up. So I said, hey, you know, can I just push aside some of these clothing racks and like just set up a little workbench here in the corner? you know, until the weather gets better. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so we, yeah, um, partnered in that way where I just would uh, roll bikes in and out of her clothing store and tune them up there in the corner in between the bell-bottom jeans and the Hawaiian shirts <laughs> until the weather got nice. And then I moved outside under the tent. That is hilarious. <laughs> I, I love that. I so love it. And then fast forwarding to a few years, um, you grew the business from just being bike repair into pretty um, ingrained in the community for a bike shop. Yeah, you know, it was, it, it was an awesome journey and there were so many different milestones to it. Probably the biggest first milestone was starting to date my wife that same summer. So 2002, when we opened up was when I first started dating Janine and she was really in on the ground floor of that business from the get-go. Um, that same year that we were in, in the clothing store, we actually ended up moving into our future home, uh, long-term home with um, Snake River Brewing on Millwood, Millwood Street. So we, we needed a little bit more space. It wasn't a stable environment over Achilles. It wasn't really the right fit. So um, we were really fortunate again. I mean, this is the story, honestly, like Stefan, the story of Fitzgerald's Bicycles was the community supporting us. Um, you know, we did our best to do our best, but when we needed space again, I reached out to Jacksonville Mountain Resort and I said, look, you know, you guys have this awesome warehouse downtown connected to Snake River Brewing. You've got a lot of space in there, probably not using it all efficiently. Can I sublease a little bit of space from you just to, to take Fitzgerald's bicycle repair to the next level? And the team over there was awesome and totally supportive. And they, they said yes. And uh, not only that, the brew pub said yes, because they were the tenant, they were the, sorry, landlords for, for JHMR. So a lot of people came together to help this little tiny business uh, and a solo entrepreneur get started. So we carved out 
a bit more space from Jackson Mount Resort in that warehouse. And every year since then, or every year after that, we needed a little bit more space. We got busier and we got busier and we got busier. So we kept asking for more space and the brew pub accommodated. We moved to the back of that warehouse when we needed, uh, needed to grow and expand. And then when we needed to grow and expand again, we asked Jackson Mountain Resort if we could take over the entire front space, which was 6,000 square feet, which just seemed insane at the time. But we felt like we could do it. We could pull it off. And, and they were amazing. They accommodated. And they said, yeah, you know, we could move down to South Park somewhere. We could, you know, they're down by the high school now for their warehousing. And, and they, they, they vacated for us. And the brew pub was super accommodating to let us move in there. And that was 2008. And when we moved in, we knew we had to at least double the business in sales and we had to double the business in staffing. And we did that, that first summer, that was uh, spring of 2008. And then fall of 2008, the recession hit. And it was like, whoa, wait a second, what is going on? You know, it took a while. It took probably a year for Jackson to really see the results, you know, the long-term results of that recession. But, but that was a lot. We bit off a lot, right? When that, that whole economic condition changed, but, uh, but we were able to make it through. And, and every time we needed you know, to grow or we needed to hit another milestone, the community really stepped up and helped us out. And, um, and Janine was right there the entire time. That's spectacular. And now you and Janine are in the world of what industry would you call yourself being a part of now? We most frequently say that we're in the children's media industry, okay. although we do blend youth sports with children's media. So we're focused on inspiring more families to ride bikes. And we do that sometimes through media and we do that sometimes through youth sporting events. So we, we dip a toe in both worlds. And the name of your company now is? So the name of our company now is called Buddy Pegs Media. And we also have a, an offshoot of that called Buddy Pegs Learn to Ride. So the media brand and logo and look and feel is all around our media products. And then the Buddy Pegs Learn to Ride is all about our, our events and our classes and our, our lessons. Cool. And I can let everybody know that my boys love your media that you provide. And this summer we attended a Learn to Ride event here in Jackson with you guys, with you and Janine. And our oldest learned to ride his bike no training wheels. And it was such a momentous occasion filled with so much positive, happy emotion. And you guys helped us an absolute ton. It, it took away a lot of the frustrations and um, emotional breakdown moments in, in a matter of two lessons. So thank you. I love it. I love it. I feel so lucky that I get to do that on a regular basis. I mean, working with your kids was awesome. They were so great. And seeing that transformation firsthand is really incredible. It lifts us up so much every time. I, I bet it does. And so let's, let's talk about Buddy Pegs Media and, and Buddy Pegs. You are trying to change the world through the world of bicycles, and how did you become, you and Janine become inspired to take this route for, for your business? You know, it was really a long journey. You know, it was a long journey of running the bike shop and just seeing time and time again, this power, this transformational power of bicycles. You know, we saw it on the community, both in the, you know, 
in the part of the community that's over there in Jackson Hole and in the part of our community that's over here where I live in Victor, Idaho, in Teton Valley. Um, bicycles have really transformed, you know, our, our Idaho community pretty significantly. And, and I think for the better. And then on an individual basis, we just saw time and time again, how individual people would be transformed by the bicycle. You know, sometimes they were brought in because, uh, you know, of doctor's orders, or sometimes they just were self-inspired to get back on the bike, or maybe they had always been on the bike and they were just hitting new milestones in their life and trying for new things, you know, reaching for new things. But we were just constantly blown away with the interactions and experiences that we would have at the bike shop. And sometimes it wasn't even with us. We would just watch, you know, quietly from the background when people would walk in the bike shop, run into each other, they hadn't seen each other in however many months or years, but they rekindled friendships again at the bike shop. And what they you know, thought was going to be a five-minute swing in for an inner tube became an hour-long catch-up with a friend. And so between bicycles themselves and bike shops and that whole environment, what it provides, it's just so inspiring. But when we had our child, so we have a nine-year-old son. And when he was, I don't know, maybe two or three years old, um, we started to realize that there was this this other piece to bicycles that we always, you know, we knew about, we knew that like kids on bikes is a good thing. And we always supported uh, kids biking events and we hosted a lot of kids biking events through the shop and they're always our favorite events. But when we became parents and we all of a sudden had to make choices for this, this, this new person and try to set this new person up for lifelong success and lifelong happiness. Yeah, of course we're going to turn to the bicycle. That's what we loved. But we also started to realize how many other influences started to come into his life. And, you know, it's not necessarily all bad, right? I mean, a lot of the influences that started to pour in are like media influences. You know, there's character ecosystems that start to flow into a child's life pretty early. So whether it's Thomas the Train when they're really young or maybe Chuck Truck, or then they start, you know, getting um, uh, some screen time and they start falling in love with things like Cars the Movie or Planes the Movie or whatever, you know, uh, animated shows that they watch and they start to really connect with these characters. And we thought, wait a second, you know, we're not car haters, but our son loves the Cars characters from Cars the movie and he's three years old and we're a bike family. Like, what the heck? <laughs> Where's the bike characters, right? If we're going to really inspire him to be outdoors and active and have adventure and connection to the community and all these things that we love about the bicycle, shouldn't we start introducing that to him now? Well, how do we do that? We don't have any books really to do it. We don't have any shows to do it. We don't have any stories to tell them about it other than what we just make up at bedtime. And so we started to um, connect a couple of dots. And you know that piece of, hey, why isn't there a kid's children's media company around bicycles? We connected to, hey, we want to help more people get on bikes. And there's been a huge decline in childhood cycling in the US. In the last generation, there's been a 43% decline in childhood cycling across the US. And as bike shop owners, that always affected us because we were always trying to get more customers, right? Just more people on bikes. And that starts at childhood. And as parents, we wanted to inspire our own, our own son to be a, you know, a cyclist and really fall in love with it. So we connected all this together and we said, you know what? Our passion and our talents, we're going to put towards getting more kids on bikes. That's where we want to apply ourselves. And that's why we sold the bike shop and started Buddy Pegs Media. Wow. You guys had some time <laughs> on the bikes, doing some deep thinking. Oh yeah, the best thinking always comes on a bike ride. Yeah, for sure. And so starting with Buddy Pegs Media, what did you guys start with? Because you have podcasts and you have books. How did you be begin? 
Yeah, we didn't really know where to begin, but we were um, we were talking it through, Janine and I, and we said, okay, well, you know, at this stage of life of our child at that time, you know, two, three years old, there was a lot of alphabet books at play, you know, and in play. And, <clears throat> but there was no bicycle alphabet book. So I think that was just kind of, you know, serendipity that we had a kid at that age and we were reading alphabet books. And, and we said, well, the simple first step, because we don't really know how to start a media company and we don't know where to begin, but shouldn't there at least be a book called BS for Bicycles? That seems like low hanging fruit. And uh, so we just went for it and we said, yeah, okay, well, let's start, you know, writing some limericks and thinking about what each letter could, uh, could signify. And we reached out to our friend, Kathleen Hansen, who's an amazingly talented illustrator and said, hey, what do you think about, do you ever like, would you sign up for a kid's book project? And she said, yes. And we were off to the races and we just started taking one step at a time towards that project. That's awesome. And we have your books, BS for Bicycles and uh, Taking the Lead. Is that right? Yep, you got it. Taking the Lead. We've read the books many times. Uh, The youngest, William, says, this is my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, nice. I love it. Yeah. And, uh, And then our oldest one, he loves the part because it gets into some of the mechanics of how bikes work. And he just loves anything mechanical. And it's fantastic. So we'll definitely put links in the show notes to your website so people can order the books from you guys. That's great. Thanks. And if you listen to it in, uh, in Jackson or Teton Valley, lots of stores are carrying it locally. So you'll see it around. Um, and, you know, on that point, Stephanie, you, know, you mentioned, you know, a young child liking mechanical things and really being attracted to that. That's, that's not every kid, but it is pretty common that kids love that tactile experience of working with things, building things, learning how things operate and function. And, you know, unfortunately, these days, uh, in the more formal education settings, a lot of that's been taken away. You don't see shop class, you know, in elementary school, certainly anymore. And mm-hmm. it's even being uh, reduced down in middle school and high schools. And I think a lot of times parents potentially forget that kids can grasp pretty complex mechanical concepts at a really early age. So when we're working with kids in our classes and we start teaching them about derailers, and have them say derailers and explain what a cassette is and how a derailleur works and show them how a shifter works. You know, we oftentimes see the parents are a little surprised that we're talking at that level to a three-year-old or a four-year-old, but man, they totally get it and they lean right in and they love it. Mm -hmm. What do you think has changed in our environment and our society that says, no, kids aren't ready for that. Why would I expose them to it? Versus expose them to anything and see what they lean into and then just keep feeding it? Such a tough question to answer. I think, it's, I think it's a great question to ponder for sure. And it probably relates to a lot of the reasons why kids aren't riding bikes anymore either. Mm. Um, there's been a huge shift in, in just the parental mindset and that emotional landscape of parents in the last, even in the last 10 years, there's a lot of research out there on it. And, you know, parents today, modern parents, um, a lot of them are millennials, but, you know, I'm a Gen Xer, you're a Gen Xer, we're still modern parents. But a lot of the data points to millennials who are 90% of modern parents. But I think it's more just the time that we're in where there's been a big shift in terms of how we view uh, being a parent and raising kids and giving them the tools, right? I think there's a lot less struggle for kids these days and we help them out a lot, you know, through those moments that previously would be moments of struggle. I don't know really why that is or what causes that, but, you know, we see, you know, a lot of kids who 
uh, might, you know, their bike falls over, right? Pretty typical, like kids bike falls over. Now it is, you know, just from our perspective, it's not like this is, you know, rooted in study or anything. But what we see at our events is parents are really quick to run and pick up that bike for the child and help them, you know, get back on their feet and get the bike back up. And I wonder if that always was the case, you know, because there's such an important moment of struggle there where a child might tip over a bicycle, not be hurt, but tip it over and let them struggle a bit, right? Make them pick it up on their own. See what that's like when they can't really get it and they're walking on the bike and trying to figure it out and just have the patience to let them explore that moment. And so, you know, maybe perhaps one theory is that we are pretty scheduled these days. There's a lot of time pressure. There's a lot of moving from thing to thing. So I know as a parent, I feel this way all the time. I'm always trying to move my son through things because we have to get to the next thing because the schedule is so full. And maybe that has some long lasting, you know, impact on just parenting behavior. And it's, it, you know, it's hard. Like if we think about this stuff, we read up on it, we study it, we research it. And yet it is really hard to, as a parent myself to not, you know, try to rush him along and get through some of those moments where it's interrupting the schedule that we laid out, that we overlaid onto him. So true. And I, I love what my brother-in-law has said before. We have the best laid out plans and then our kids have determine what ends up happening. <laughs> but, it, but, sure. it's, but it's true. We do try to plan out so much and our kids are at the, the pace that they're at and they want to stop. And I know when we go hiking, they want to stop and look at the rocks or look at the birds and the bushes and the plants. And it's like, it's not about how far we get. It's the fact that we're out there. It's being in the mm-hmm. moment, totally being in the moment. Yeah, I was just on a bike ride with another dad friend of mine and we were talking about the same topic because uh, he has a son a little bit younger than me. And uh, he was saying, you know, even on, you know, there's not a lot of unstructured playtime anymore in the typical US child's life. Uh, and in fact, globally, children today have less than an hour of outside playtime. That's mm-hmm. a global statistic Oof. each day. But, but oftentimes, you know, when we do set aside time for unstructured play, it's scheduled unstructured play, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we have, an, we have an hour for unstructured play. Ready? Go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to set this timer and, for when it's almost done. Totally. What are you going to do? Let's get creative. <laughs> and there's a lot of statistics out there, uh, a lot of research on the lack of boredom that kids have these days. There's not a lot of time in the day for kids to get bored. And without that, that boredom, there's also a lack of need to come up with creative solutions to the boredom. So, there's a lot going on these days. And and I think parents as, as well, allowing our kids to be creative. Um, our kids start pulling all their blankets and pillows and whatever and put it on the couch. And our youngest son is like, look, we made a boat or we made an airplane. And we're like, awesome. It looks great. He's like, come on our boat. We're like, okay, we'll get on the boat. And yeah, it's the couch with just like, you know, I was talking to Laura and said, it's just pillows and comforters but it's a boat to them and that's what counts right. oh that's awesome so, so you know tying back sorry. to bikes like kids used to have that time to roam the neighborhood they had the freedom to roam the neighborhood too mm-hmm. and both of those things have been taken away mm. um, the time isn't there and the freedom isn't there so without those two elements how do you get kids excited about biking how do you how do you what's that on-ramp into cycling for them and through buddy pegs you guys are creating and bringing this back into families' lives. You're trying to 
reinvigorate the idea and the enthusiasm behind this, correct? We are. Yeah. And at first we thought, holy smokes, are we crazy? Like maybe, I mean, honestly, like I'm not kidding, Stefan, we've had these deep conversations, Janine and I, like, is bicycling's time done, right? Last year, bicycles fell off. I don't know who does this research. I couldn't <laughs> quote it, but it was a story that floated around last Christmas. The bicycles fell off the top 10 list of things that kids asked for for Christmas. Oh, the first time, and that's like first time since the 50s. And so maybe just bikes aren't, they're not valid anymore, right? Maybe they're just not interesting to kids these days. They're not a valid form of, you know, childhood play or recreation or adventure. And maybe we're just holding on too tight. And we, you know, we, we wanted to, we wanted to answer that question. We thought we need to answer this question before we keep this business going in the direction it's going in. Cause I don't want to just be a, you know, a grouch who's like, ah, oh, kids these days. And, you know, I wish it was like it was when I was a kid. Cause it's not, it's a different time. So that's why I'm sure we'll, uh, I'm sure you were trying to lead into this, this topic anyways at some point, but we, we hit the road last winter and we traveled for eight months around the country holding family cycling events. Part of the reason why was we wanted to see if bikes were still uh, valid and interesting to kids. And I am super happy to report that they are. The kids still love to ride. Bikes are still super fun for kids if you can introduce them in the right way. And and I'm glad that you report back from the road um, <laughs> that it's, it's still an important part of people's lives. And you touched on something there, if it's introduced in the right way, what is the right way versus maybe the not so right way? And why is that? Do you, do you have an idea why that's different now compared to when we were kids? It's like, yeah, it's, it's a, a topic that for whatever reason in the last couple of months has really sprung up quite a bit in a lot of um, publications. The Wall Street Journal wrote an article about it. The Times covered it. Outdoor Magazine has covered it. There's a lot of, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, people started to realize, hey, kids aren't riding bikes as much as they used to. And that's been happening for a long time, really since like the early 2000s. So, you know, we, we think about that a lot and we try to chime in on those conversations. And a lot of times digital media uh, becomes the reason why kids aren't riding bikes as much. And, you know, that's certainly, I'm sure, a part of it, of course. But in terms of, you know, your question about, well, what is the right way to introduce kids to biking or how did it used to go and how's it going these days? I think one of the underlying issues is that in previous generations, certainly when you were, and I were kids, we were self-motivated to learn how to ride a bike because riding a bike meant freedom. Riding a bike meant jumping on with the older kids and going on that pack ride around the neighborhood or out of the neighborhood or farther than mom and dad knew we were going. <laughs> and if we couldn't ride on two wheels, we weren't going on those adventures. So can you think of any greater motivator for a kid to learn to do something? I mean, that's pretty powerful stuff. Nowadays, parents' number one concern, this is you know statistically sound data, is... Uh, protection and safety for their kids. You know, parents are very cautious about letting their kids out of their sight. Uh, they're very concerned about all the bad things that can happen to them in the world. You know, some of it's valid. I think a lot of it is is overblown. But kids aren't allowed to go out and ride around the neighborhood as much as they used to, especially on the national scale. So you take that piece away, that motivating piece, and what really is the motivation for a kid to ride? Well, if a parent tries to teach them how to ride and it and they don't have the tools and they're not equipped with good, fun methodology for teaching a kid how to ride, there is a strong likelihood that it's, do it's going to become a task that has to be accomplished, not something fun that they're doing together. 
So I'm sure you've experienced this as a dad. Whenever you try to teach your kids something that they're not really that into and you just want them to accomplish something for the sake of accomplishing it, it's a lot harder to get them excited about it. So you take away the freedom, you take away the independence, you take away the fun by mistake. Parents aren't looking to take away the fun, but they don't have any knowledge on, you know, again, this is a broad statement. A lot of parents are nailing it for sure, especially around here in our community. But, you know, broadly, parents don't have the tools to know how to make it fun to teach a kid how to ride a bike and how to actually mechanically do it. So, um, that's where we come in and that's why we think there's such a big opportunity to develop this early childhood national cycling program for kids starting at two years old. So we can support those parents with some simple tips and tools and uh, advice and experience about how to make it fun from the get-go and to keep that going through a child's life. I can tell you from my experience, it made all the difference in the world in a very positive way manner, as I had said earlier. And, you know, we haven't talked about the podcast that you have, and it's great to have, you know, one podcaster on the show to another podcaster. And with the kids associating with what was going on in the podcast, reading the books, and then we saying that we're going to a Buddy Pegs writing, learn to write event, boom, it clicked and they were thrilled to go. And it made all the difference for sure. Oh my gosh, I love hearing that because sometimes we feel like a little crazy for what we're doing because we try to explain it to people uh, who might not be in the same position that you're in. And, and oftentimes it's challenging to, to explain why we're doing all this stuff. You know, why are you writing books and podcasts and now you're teaching bike classes? And to us, that, like, that you know, pretty linear progression that you just talked about for your family is exactly what we're trying to build. Mm -hmm. You know, we're trying to bring bicycling into the families. Uh, so into the house so that the bike is not just another thing in the garage, but something you can read about at bedtime. You can listen to on a car ride and then you can actually be taught how to do it. And it all sort of weaves together. I love it. You can also listen to the podcast at, uh, during bath time as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Uh, now you and Janine and your son are getting ready to hit the road again. We are. We're going to do a, another stint over this school year away from Idaho here. Uh, and we're going to head off to Bentonville, Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, spend the school year there and uh, launch our Buddy Pegs Learn to Ride mobile bike classes. And will you guys be spending your time just there in Bentonville or will that kind of be your home base and reach communities in a particular driving distance in that area? We are going to stay put in Northwest Arkansas, but it is a region. So we'll be doing events from Fayetteville all the way up um, to the northern border of Northwest Arkansas. Uh, you know, if we get opportunities and develop opportunities to expand that um, that circle of influence a bit further sooner than later, we, we're, you know, we're looking forward to those opportunities. But right now, the whole concept with what we're building is to take uh, one van and then deploy it into one community and make it a standalone viable business without having to travel too far. And then from there, replicate that model into more vans and more communities. That's, that's excellent. 
And and why Bentonville, Arkansas? When I hear Bentonville, all I think of is worldwide headquarters of Walmart. It is such a fascinating place. Holy smokes, where to begin? We could do a whole episode just on just on Bentonville. Huh. When we when we launched on our tour last year, we traveled from California to North Carolina, all across the southern states. And we were visiting different markets that we knew had at least a, a, a medium to high level of cycling culture and, and, um, and young families uh, who already bought into an outdoor adventure type lifestyle. We did not have Bentonville, Arkansas high on our list of prime target markets. It was on the list, but we thought, boy, this is a smaller market. We were in places like San Francisco and Las Vegas and Austin, Texas. And that was sort of where we were focused, these like bigger metro areas with, you know, at least a million people in them that um, they could support a new business. When we, we, but we went to Bentonville because we had heard so much about it. I mean, there's a lot of talk about Bentonville in the bicycling industry because of all the investment that's happened there in cycling culture, cycling culture, as well as infrastructure. So we, we thought, well, we have to go see it firsthand. Like, let's really, you know, put our, put our finger on that pulse. When we got there, it completely blew us away. I mean, we could not have imagined what they're doing there without seeing it firsthand. And I'll often tell people, if I sat down to create a cycling-centric, cycling-economy-driven community, I don't think I would have come up with what they've done there. I mean, it is just world-class. So they, you know, of course they have, they have the capital and the resources thanks to uh, Walmart. And they also have a couple other large employers there, JB Hunt and Tyson Foods. So there's, you know, there is a strong economy there and there are financial means to accelerate things faster than you might see in other communities. But the thing that really struck me, Stefan, was that there was focused decision-making about the power of the bicycle there. Hmm. Regardless of how much money has been deployed there, there, is, uh, there are a lot of people who have said bicycles matter, not just because they're fun to ride, but because they're going to lift up our whole region and our whole community. And they have focused on it and they have put all the pieces in place as fast as they can to make that a reality. And it totally blew us away. Now, we were also looking for a place with year-round biking weather that doesn't require four or five inch tires. So we, we did realize that Buddy Pegs, you know, as a year round viable business entity, when it comes to teaching classes and events, doesn't make a lot of sense in snow country where it would go into hibernation in the winter as kids are skiing and playing hockey, et cetera. So um, we were looking for a Southern community. We were looking for a high concentration of young professional families who are interested in these topics that we're discussing um, and a strong cycling culture. And when it came to Bentonville, they just, they checked all those boxes and the, uh, the big bonus box was just great people, just unbelievably great people. Cool. Cool. Scott, we're going to get into more about Bentonville and what you guys are going to be doing there, but we're going to take a quick break from one of our sponsors. We'll be right back. Do you know what a freedom machine is? Do you remember the enjoyment and confidence riding a bike gave you? When was the last time you rode your bike? Well, the fun folks over at Buddy Pegs Media can answer all of these questions, except for the last time you rode your bike. They are building children's confidence and connecting families in this digital age through books, podcasts, and learn-to-ride classes. The Buddy Pegs family are creating healthier lifestyles for families and helping children be more successful through the power of the bicycle. Check them out today 
at the jacksonholeconnection.com slash buddy. So we're talking about Bentonville, Arkansas, and you have been describing the biking, the cycling community and how much they are really brought it into the li- their lifestyle. What are some things that um, show you and tell you that they have really bought into that? What does the infrastructure of that community look like that, that really says, boom, they are there? Yeah. So it's a, it, it's really a fascinating story and I'm still learning the the timeline of how it all really unfolded. But as I understand it, and I'm sure I'll get some of these milestones wrong, but one of the first things that happened was there was a, there was an investment in a, in a pathway system. Sounds pretty familiar. You know, if you live in Jackson, you've been around Jackson for the last 20 years. So in uh, Northwest Arkansas, there's a pathway called the Razorback Greenway. And the Razorback Greenway is over 30 miles long. It connects Fayetteville all the way up to this uh, little community called Bella Vista. And that became like a central vein in the whole community, right? It was the spine of everything. It's, a very, it's, it's sort of like a, a north-south kind of orientation for all these communities. And all of a sudden, the Razorback Greenway connected them all with a, you know, with a bike path and walking trail. From there, um, there was a, a growing interest in mountain biking, primarily driven by uh, the grand couple of the grandkids of Sam Walton, who became uh, passionate mountain bikers and realized that mountain biking had more to offer than just you know the recreational value and the fun of riding. But of course, that's a big part of it too. So they started building trail networks off of that Razorback Greenway um, and surrounding communities to build the infrastructure that says, look, mountain biking is is it's a thing here. It's not just this one little ride zone. It's really sprinkled throughout the whole region. And no matter what community you live in, what town you live in, in that area, you're going to have access to a world-class mountain bike ride center. And now a lot of them are being connected together for these incredibly long networks of trails. So of course, that's like the first thing you see, right? You ride these trails and you're like, holy smokes, these trails are plentiful, really well-built, super fun and everywhere. So it, it kicked off a lot of people's uh, you know, atten- it, it drew attention to the area. But the trail infrastructure and the pathway infrastructure to me is just one piece of it. So what I started to see uh, along with that when I was there was um, things like brew pubs and coffee shops and hotels that had bike-related themes or had, um, you know, connectivity to, uh, you know, outdoor adventure and outdoor lifestyles and whatnot, right? So that when you're not on the bike, you have other places to go. You have those gathering places to go that really bring people together. There's an abundance of supporting agencies that are focused on making sure that all the different pieces of bicycling culture and infrastructure are moving forward. So a lot of nonprofits focused on uh, bicycle infrastructure. And then, um, you know, there's, there's the, it, it's, it's the cultural piece. It's hard to really, um, to really sum up, but I'll give you an example that I think really underlines it for me. The Chamber of Commerce. Every Friday, I think it's at 11.30 in the morning, there's a Chamber of Commerce mountain bike ride. Huh. And the intention is to pull together the business community, business leaders, new entrepreneurs in the community, um, you know, new business owners, uh, visiting, traveling vendors, whoever it may be, um, to get together around bicycling. Right, and to have that moment that's out of an office, it's not a, a coffee shop networking event, it's not a breakfast, it's not a cocktail hour, it's a bike ride. And it's not once a quarter, it's not once a year, it's once a week. Things like that just speak volumes about a community's true desire to make bicycling an important part of the community. 
And we just started to see elements like that over and over again, which then attracts a lot of people who are really forward thinking in terms of cycling culture and cycling, uh, you know, economic development through cycling. Uh, so it's a little bit of like moths to a flame there for anybody who really thinks that biking can change the world and or could change the community. How exciting. And I know it's, that it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And I'm glad I'm thrilled that you and Janine found Bentonville to really find an, a company to anchor around that can help you grow this, this uh, model that you have, because um, I see that bicycle coming back up on the top 10 list of the Christmas list very soon. Yeah, that's the idea, but we won't be gone for uh, forever. We, we, we plan on being here running programming in the summer in the Tetons and uh, the house is not for sale here in Victor. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And pretty soon you have a new season of your podcast coming out. We're really excited about that. Season two will be rolling out shortly. Uh, we've had an amazing uh, second season of collaborative work with Bob Berkey, the local writer, director, actor, clown that we all uh, know and love here in, in, uh, in the Tetons. And he's been an amazing partner of ours. And we're really excited to get this next season out. And if somebody wanted to go start their own, not just company, but media company, what is a bit of advice that you would offer them? You know, there's two, there's two pieces to it that I think are really important. There's, there's the old Irish proverb that says you can't plow a field in your mind. Mm -hmm. So you got to start doing it, right? Like you could think about it for a long time, but you just got to start doing it. And there's so many ways to do it these days. As you know, you can spin up a podcast. It's not easy, but it's not, there's no barriers to it, right? The barriers are your own willingness to learn and take the time to do it. You can write a book and you can self-publish it very easily these days. We used Kickstarter to get our two books off the ground. Um, so when it comes to media, there's never been a better time to just get out there and start doing it. The second thing that I learned as I, as I started to dig into the actual media industry, specifically the children's media industry, is it's an incredibly collaborative environment. And that was pretty refreshing for us coming out of the bike industry. Um, which we love and the bike industry is a really big part of our of our hearts and our lives but sometimes collaboration is not the name of the game and it's sometimes challenging to you know to build partnerships in the bike industry the way that the media industry does because in the media industry everybody knows whether you're disney or buddy pegs media you're not going to get it done alone you need to have partnerships you need to you know build strong alliances and so there is an openness to, uh, to meet new people, to collaborate with new people, to share information. Um, there's very few that I've found so far, very few closed doors and, and sort of secret tricks of the trade because it takes a lot of hard work, takes a lot of execution, and it takes a lot of partnerships. So it's, uh, it's something that you, you, know, you have to keep in mind and to start picking up the phone and writing emails and making connections and asking for you know, introductions and, and it works. Cool. Uh, thank you for that for that insight for anybody that's interested. But I mean, I think adding to it, um, what you said, you just have to get out there and do things. Don't let your what's in your mind limit you. You have to get out and learn. And until you put the rubber to the road or the plow into the field, you're not your idea is going to stay exactly where it is. And we all have to get out there and try it a little bit. Mm -hmm. For sure. And that's that's a, that's a tricky thing to remember when you're putting something out there that might be evergreen and might stick around for a while and you know you can make it better and you know there's room for improvement 
And sometimes you just got to, you got to put it out there and, and live with it. Yeah. During the lessons that you teach through Buddy Pegs, there was a concept that took me a little bit to grasp onto and accept of teaching the kids to ride the bike. And it was the training wheels. When did mm. the cycling community realize that the training wheel is more of a hindrance than you know, a, something to help the kids learn how to ride? Because I, I can't tell you how many times I heard, well, I learned on training wheels. Why can't my kids learn on training wheels? Yeah, I'm not sure the cycling community has learned that yet. Oh, okay. That's one of the challenges that we face. You know, there are a lot of people in the bike advocacy world and the bike industry who do believe the training wheels are not the answer. But then there's also some behavior and there's some, uh, some things that we see that doesn't necessarily support that belief that oftentimes, you know, the bike industry says that we all share. The example is how many bike shops can you walk into and see training wheels on bikes on the sales floor? right next to the balance bikes that are supposed to be revolutionizing how kids learn how to ride. So training wheels are, for us, uh, they're the great enemy right now. We really want to see those go away. And Kryptonite. It is our kryptonite. <laughs> totally. Now, there are some kids and some adults who really benefit from training wheels, and they might have developmental challenges um, that make that a real necessity, and we totally get that. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, you know, a full ban on training wheels for everyone. But when you think about how a child best learns how to ride or when you see it in person, it's really learning how to balance first and then learning how to pedal. Training wheels don't teach you how to balance. They teach you anti-balance. They teach you to lean on a wheel. They, lead, they teach you to basically devolve your internal gyroscope that wants to keep us straight up and down. But you get on training wheels, next thing you know, you're like the guy in the V8 commercial who's walking through life, you know, crooked. <laughs> But yet we still see these training wheels in bike shops and it drives us kind of crazy and we don't understand why. And, and we, we think that there is some work to be done there. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, I am a big advocate of the balance bike and get rid of those training wheels because I thought differently before we got into your program and it makes such a difference for sure. You know, going back to an earlier conversation that we had here, Stefan, like that issue of all of us being pretty busy these days and oftentimes overscheduled. Uh, when we apply that onto our kids, sometimes there's not enough, enough space and time and patience to let a child learn how to do something in, the, in maybe the best fashion. And so if there's a moment where uh, there's a bit of struggle and a child is like putting up a little resistance and maybe a parent's a little busy, it's pretty easy to throw on the training wheels and say, okay, whatever, here we go. Let's just, let's just go. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know how to get through this struggle. I don't have, I don't have bandwidth for another struggle. So the training wheels just get put on. And that's, uh, you know, we, we, we don't, we, we really don't put judgment on parents for that moment. It's, it's a really tough thing to be a parent no matter what. So we get it. We get it. And there isn't a lot of support. You don't really know how to do it otherwise. So that's what you do. I can say that that's probably what I did for sure. Scott, any last words of wisdom or thoughts before we say adios for this um, exciting and, and very detailed and entertaining interview? <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me here. This is really awesome. I love this conversation. I love what you're doing with this show. And you know, if I were to leave with some, you know, listeners with just a little bit of um, thought it would be this, that the bicycle isn't necessarily just a recreational pastime. I think a lot of people in our community know that already. But when it comes to kids, think about it as a tool. 
Think about it as a tool that helps kids develop lifelong happiness and lifelong success and becomes that gateway to a lot of the values that we're trying to teach kids these days, self-confidence, resilience, sense of freedom, sense of connection to our community and real people, you know, out there in the world, traveling through space, not in a car, but traveling through the real world. And that can begin at two years old now. A child can get on a balance bike and there's very few other sports out there that allow a child to get into it that young. So yeah, think about it. If you've got a friend with some kids, remind them about bikes. If you're a grandparent, consider using the bicycle as a way to really connect with your grandkids. If you're an aunt or uncle and you don't have kids, but you want to connect with your brother and sister's kids, use the bike. Be that aunt and uncle that takes those kids out for a bike ride or you know, gives them a buddy pegs book. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I like it. And what is the website for buddy pegs? We are buddypegs.com, B-U-D-D-Y-P-E-G-S.com. Buddy Pegs, everyone always asks, is a throwback reference to the metal pegs that kids sometimes put on the back of their rear wheel so a friend can stand on them and come along for a ride. So bring your buddy along for the ride with your buddy pegs. Mm -hmm. And it's a metaphor that we like to use that we're trying to help people come along for the ride. I love it. And if people read Taking the Lead, they'll understand where that comes from as well. The origin story. Yeah. And if people want to connect with you, Scott, what are the best channels for somebody to reach out to you? Yeah, we love hearing from people. Feel free to email me directly, scott at buddypegs.com. Uh, we're really active on social media through Facebook and Instagram. You can find us at buddypegs. Um, you know, maybe you already have the book or you don't have access to the book. Listen to our podcast. Um, and if you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt and uncle and you have kids in your life, try audio stories, whether it's ours or others. A lot of parents, a lot of adults don't realize that podcasting is an awesome medium for, uh, for kids. And there's, there's some good ones out there. And it's, uh, you know, it's not screen time. It allows a child to develop uh, creative images and visuals inside their own mind as they're listening to stories. And we think ours is pretty good. So look for Buddy Pegs. It's called The World of Buddy Pegs. And you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher and our own website. And it's a great way to check out what we're doing. Yeah, indeed. So I'm going to repeat your email address because there was a little bit of internet issue there. And it's scott at buddypegs.com. S-C-O-T-T at buddypegs.com. You got and, it. And I bet you everybody who's listening today that Scott and Janine would love to see some Instagram photos of your kids enjoying their bikes and you as families enjoying your bikes as well. Instagram, Facebook, get those out there and share those with, with the Buddy Pegs world because um, it is awesome when you see your kids get on top of their, I'm going to say it, Scott, it's, it's their freedom machine. And, and, and I didn't create that name that comes from buddy pegs. And when we talk about it with our kids about the freedom machine, they're like, let's go do it. Love it. Keep it up. (laughs) Thanks Scott. (laughs) I appreciate your time today. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Thank you, Stefan. Awesome to be here. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. To learn more about Scott and buddy pegs media, please visit the Jackson hole connection.com episode number 55. I do love hearing from my listeners and subscribers. So if you have feedback or suggestions, please send an email to connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Please remember to take a look on the website of buddypegs at buddypegs.com. I could not create this podcast without the support of my wife, Flora, my editor, Michael Morey, my musical director, Luke Taylor, and my marketing guru, Tana Hoffman. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.